This is the day that the Lord has made. All right, let us center ourselves and continue on in worship. Let us stand and join in our call to worship as we are able. We rejoice in the work of God's grace in our lives. Our hearts are full of gratitude. Thanks be to God. Let us worship the Lord our God who showers us with such blessings. In this worship, let us be strengthened for kind and generous lives that lead us to celebrate our blessings by being blessings to others. Let us remain standing in body or spirit as we join in our hymn of celebration number 96, Praise the Lord Who Reigns Above. <laughs> you may be seated. 
distributed at this time. Uh, we are not doing a children's message this morning, but we talk about with our children the story of God providing manna for the people of Israel as they were in the desert. As we think about our sermon series of grace, gratitude, and generosity, we remember God's generosity to us, and we respond with such gratitude that we respond in generosity, and that's the message that we shared with the kids this morning. If there are no more prayer concerns, let us go to God in prayer. Awesome and almighty God, we greet you this day with praise and thanksgiving. In awe of the ways in which your spirit moves among us, giving us peace, giving us hope, giving us opportunities to praise you. We give you praise for all of those within our congregation, O oh Lord, who have, you have brought to places of healing. Lord, we pray for our larger community, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are grieving at this time. We offer prayers for the son of Pastor Thornton of Calvary Community Church. His son John fell 25 feet from a climbing, climbing wall and is recovering from back surgery. Oh Lord, oh Lord hear, hear our, our prayers. prayers. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters at North Hollywood United Methodist Church as they entered into a new reality this morning after their pastor of 25 plus years, Joey McDonald, passed away suddenly this week. Be with their congregation, be with his family, let them all know your presence in this time of grief and let them see the ways that you are orchestrating healing in their midst. Oh Lord, Lord hear, hear our, our prayers. prayers. Almighty God, you are the God of wholeness. With you, those who work the graveyard shift of life find the dawn of resurrection. Those who look for healing are led to the living waters. Christ, you are our companion. Richer than Gates or Buffett, you chose to become as poor as Mother Teresa to touch us with your hope. You set aside God, glory's robe to wear the servant's towel so that we might touch you and be made whole. Spirit of grace, you encircle us with love which never ends. You touch us with grace which mends all brokenness. You pour out mercy, which heals any wound we may cause. God and community, holy in one, we lift a pr the prayer Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Listen and receive a reading from the Word of God. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our first reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly, earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this, not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us, so that we might urge Titus that, as he had already made a beginning, so he should also complete this generous undertaking among you. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. This is God's word to God's people. Thanks be to God.
Thank you, choir. I hope you have been enjoying this series of a few sermons that's been directed at our, our appraisal of stewardship from a point of view of faithfulness. We've been trying to uh, think through how God has been faithful to us, and as a consequence, we are faithful in return back to God. We have celebrated the power of God's grace in our lives. We've, we've noted how the presence of that grace has transformed us. We've been able to become different people because of that grace. Uh, perhaps we've even experienced a, a rebirth of, of hope and of energy to life because of God's grace in our lives. Maybe some of us are able to say, I have, I have felt healed from this thing that I have been carrying along. And perhaps others of you have said, um, I've been able to finally put that bag down and walk away from that. We experience God's grace in various ways, but we're here because we have. It's made an impact on us. And so we're thankful people about that. How can we not be? If the power of God's grace has truly transformed us, our hearts, our souls, we should be overflowing with a feeling of gratitude. The alleluias come from a grateful heart. They're not just words in our mouth, but they're given birth in the gratitude that we feel at the core of our being. And so today we think about what do we do with that gratitude? And I want to encourage us, as the Apostle Paul has for the people in Corinth, I want to encourage us to translate our gratitude into generosity. Probably for the first 10 years of our marriage, I just told Debbie how much I loved her, but then I just sat in the corner of the house expecting her to do everything for me. <laughs> Is that about right? No, I'm, I'm making fun of myself as, as a way of saying, you know, if, if, if you love your spouse, if you're thankful for the love you get from your spouse, you do something about that, don't you? You, you somehow transition... <laughs> you somehow transition it into something demonstrable, something that is, is concrete. When we look at the early church, when we look at this particular passage from 2 Corinthians, you can see that I'm not just saying what I'm saying to you out of the blue, but this is grounded in Scripture, and I'm just following the path that Paul has taken. He's noticing what's going on in Corinth, and he's, look closely at the Scripture today as you get home or something. You, you'll notice that he's, he's remarking about how God's grace has transformed lives there in that place. And, and they're hopeful, they're joyful people now. They're, they're people who are, have come alive to the Spirit and, 
It's exciting. He recognizes that. And, and he notices also among them that there are people who are rejoicing over what God has done for them. They're not saying, well, God has finally delivered what I have been expecting God to do for me. For No, they're, they're people who are joyful and thankful that God's grace has come to them in a remarkable way. But they don't leave it there. In their poverty and in their wealth, they are responding to an appeal to fund the early church. They want to participate in that, which is kind of interesting. It's part of how they seem to think they would express a gratitude to the risen Lord. I today want us to think a bit about how we express our gratitude to Christ Jesus, to his movement, this church that we are a part of. And you've heard, I don't know how many stewardship sermons through all your years, there's nothing new that I can say to you, and it's almost kind of silly that, that we clergy go through this routine um, because we all know, don't we? We all know. Our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service, no reason for anybody to get uncomfortable. We express our generosity through our time, our talents, our gifts, and our service. These are acts of a generous spirit, a spirit that is in touch with the sense of gratitude over being saved by grace. So today I want us to think a bit more about this. To let the Spirit prompt us a bit perhaps in a, a new or a, a different way because of what the Spirit has prompted me to share with you. Chase came up to me and said, hey, listen, everything I have, I have earned, and it is mine. I thought to myself, it's all from my hard work, my sweat, my talent. No one ever helped me. I owe no one. Thanks. I made it on my own and I'll do whatever I blankety blank want with what is mine. Well, I, I share Chase's words because I'm guessing that he's probably not somebody who's going to give the Lutheran social services <laughs> or many mansions or the church on the corner. His money was his, he felt, fruit of his labor, and he deserved to do whatever he wanted with it to get whatever pleasures he sought. Fancy meals, expansive and expensive home, overseas vacations, jet skis, which I never did ride on, a souped-up car, and all the toys his heart desired. You know that bumper sticker? Do you ever see that bumper sticker that says the one with the most toys wins? 
Well, that was his personal credo. That's the banner that, that he flew. Now, I, I mentioned this guy, in exaggeration, of course, I mentioned this guy as a counterpoint, not as an example. <laughs> Don't be like him, that's what I'm trying to say. To kind of show a light on what we affirm, since this is not a good example of discipleship. Not a particularly good role model of a disciple of Christ that we aspire to be. He's missing the relational qualities of life that we value, where we care for each other, we share with each other. He's missing the community connection that we celebrate, being part of something bigger than ourselves that does good, a greater good than we're able to do individually. He's missing the simple joys that come from, from giving to people and the surprising joy that comes back when other people give to you. He's missing that sense of trusteeship of his abilities and his good fortune. He's missing the sense of helping to specifically help some other person achieve something else in life that that person couldn't achieve on his or her own. What a marvelous thing that is, isn't it? He's missing that. He's missing well, frankly, he's missing that quality of indebtedness to God, which if you're wise, you understand. And you've got that thankfulness that's in your core. He's missing that. These are things that we basically hold, foundations of our faith that lead us not to speak like Chaz. Lead us not to behave like Chaz. We recognize that, that none of us go it alone. We are part of a social fabric. We are part of a spiritual tapestry that helps us to be who we are. I look out at you and I think of the ministry that's gone here, what, 60-some years, is it? And I, and I think of the good folks who had the vision of, of planting a Methodist church in this place. We thank them for such a good choice of carpet. <laughs> I understand that this is the original carpet. We've, we just don't want to let go of, of things that have come from the past and enrich us. I get it. Think of how many people have been baptized in this place. How many weddings, funerals. Thanks to the good souls that gathered those six some decades ago that had a vision of something beyond themselves. Who were willing to give beyond 
themselves for that which might come afterwards. There's a story about a guy who was planting seeds um, at a place that was devastated by a fire, and he's planting a lot of seeds, and he's an, he's an old-timer doing it, and so one of the, the young whippersnapper comes up and says, what are you doing, man? Who are you planting those seeds for? You know, you're, you're not going to be around long enough. I'm not planting them for me. I'm planting them for you and those who come after you. Much of life is that, isn't it? We do things in escrow for others to bring forward something greater. I'm hopeful that when I die, I won't be in ministry with Rachel. <laughs> By that I mean I hope it's longer than the time we're together <laughs> when that moment comes. I didn't say that quite right, did I? You know what I'm trying to say. Hope it's later than sooner. But honestly, I want to say to you, I, I hope that somebody's able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I trust that my kids, as they divide up the debt, <laughs> that, that somehow, somehow you're going to find in your heart to say, well done, Dad. <laughs> that that there, will be, there will be some things of value that I've done and have uh, lived on to the benefit of others. And I think, quite honestly, if you look at one another, you can say that to each other too, can't you? Martha, has there not been somebody who has knelt beside you in prayer and has helped you be who you are now and to get through grief and other challenges that have been a part of life? We all, if we're honest, recognize the importance of our support and our care for one another and the beauty of it in the church family. So I want to share with you a, a story that I came across a few years ago, but it stuck with me, and this is about Juan Arambula. Now, he is a farm worker, so um, I'm guessing... I'm not sure. Maybe I should say, are, do we have any farm workers here besides ranchers? Because chances are we don't. So this, this is a guy that's not had a life like us, right? Um, he's not had a life like us. But I want to share his story because in a couple very key ways, he's had a life exactly like us. So... So try to just kind of get out of your skin just a little bit and, and listen to Juan's story and see if the Holy Spirit isn't saying something to you through Juan Arambula. He was reared as a farm worker. His family were farm workers. Um, when, when other people came around them and would put them down, they'd, they'd call him prune pickers, cotton pickers. And he'd say, well, and that's what we were. That's what we were. He lived out of his car. His family lived out of their car during the picking season and then lived in a little shack in Delano, California during the winter months. As 
would you say it, luck would have it, as chance would have it. He bumped into Cesar Chavez as a, as a youngster and, and got the spirit, got the spirit. And so he started to, to be a little mouthy in the right articles of protest about the educational system for kids like him and about the social circumstance in the community for families like his. And as a consequence to that, he was denied his diploma from his high school. Punishment for being too uppity in our community, that community. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? So, this is, uh, I think, maybe an election year, or for some reason, uh, Bobby Kennedy is out there in California. And he has with him, again, for some reason, some reps from Harvard who hear the story of Juan, and they go and they talk to Juan, and that Harvard guy is so moved that he says, listen, you write an application, and I'll try to get you in. And some months later, an envelope comes to the Rambla's door, and Juan rips it open and reads and calls out to his mom, Mom, I've got a full scholarship to Harvard. And mom goes, what's Harvard? <laughs> right? What's Harvard? So Juan goes there and has two terrible years. You can imagine how hard it must have been to get in a gear to perform at that level. But he had basic talent, and he did, and he graduated with honors. And then he got a master's degree in education from Stanford, and then he got a law degree from Berkeley. This is Juan, our prune picker, our cotton picker. And he ended up on the school board of Fresno. In his mind, working for the betterment of all the children in that community to try to give all of them, regardless of their circumstance, an opportunity to excel like he did. And it turns out that he actually created a scholarship and gave away $10,000 of his own money every year to some deserving student. Now there's a number of important variables about Juan's story, and one is that he had some natural talent, obviously, huh? He had some smarts. All of us, though, all of us are gifted in some ways, are we not? God has uniquely made each one of us and given us some uh, beautiful strengths and talents. Fortunately for Juan, he had a family that helped guide him to do something constructive with his anger, his feeling of being put upon or lesser than, rather than doing something destructive with that anger. And how many of us, as we look back on our life, don't we recognize there's been times when we have felt some injustice or we have felt slighted or we've gotten angry over something, right? And thank God for our church and our family or whatever's been the network around us that we've made good choices with that that have built to healthy and productive life. Too many kids make other choices 
that creates some great sorrows. And Juan had the good fortune of connecting with people of influence. Well, I haven't met Chavez and Bobby Kennedy, right? Um, maybe some of you have. But if you think back on your life, I know that I can think back on my life that there's been a couple key people who for some reason, for some reason, have stepped forward and grabbed me and said, let's go here. Let's do this. Or let me help you up. Let me bind that wound. Who have encouraged me, who have been mentors to me. Can you hear? I mean, can you, can you picture this in your mind? Some of those people for you? Some people who stepped forward, though you didn't really deserve it. How did you deserve it? That kind of beautiful, unsolicited grace. That bumping into Bobby Kennedy. Juan had a number of moments in his life where different choices could have been made. He made some good ones and ended up in a place where he became a generous man who was grateful of the unsolicited moments of grace in his life. Chaz took a different path. And our question this morning, I think, as I'm wanting to prompt our thinking, is at which end of that continuum do we want to aspire to be? Do we want to be like Chaz? Or do we want to be somewhat like Juan? Jesus gives us the fresh choice of that every day invites us to walk with the Spirit a little more intimately, a little more closely, perhaps a little more truly. We all benefit from the caring and the support of others, and we all, thankfully, have the opportunity to be caregivers and supporters of others. Our church family provides us the arena in which to experience that grace, to be grateful over that grace, and to extend that grace through acts of ministry, of generosity. I'd invite you to pray on these kind of things. Graceful living leads to graceful giving. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for the gift of our offering, we have the gift of a witness of why Roz and Larry Tabo give to the church. So I'd like to invite Roz and Larry to come forward at this time. Hello, all you rich people. Just <laughs> say rich. Yes, you rich people. There are three things you're not supposed to talk about in polite company. God, sex, 
and money. Well, I'm not going to talk about God because there are two experts here sitting right behind us at the moment. And we don't talk about S-E-X in church. And I didn't say I was going to talk about money. Well, not yet. Well, what are you going to talk about? I'm going to talk about love. Hey, rich people. We are all very rich people. We're rich in our love of one another. And we're rich in our love for our church here in Westlake Village. And we are rich with money. We live in one of the richest demographic areas in the state of California. Did you know that? Really? I thought you were going to talk about love. Well, yes. <laughs> I will talk about love, but I need to talk about money first. That's a dangerous subject, you know. Well, yeah, but that's why we're up here at the microphone. It's that time of year when our church is planning the budget for next year. So talking about money is very important. For example, there are those usual annoying expenses like paying utilities and taxes. Did you know that our church pays taxes? No, I didn't know that. But I suppose we need to keep the lights and air conditioning on and we have to render unto Caesar his portion. Well, we also need to pay those wonderful people who keep our church going, the pastors, our wonderful Walter and Rachel, and all of the staff. And you know that the cost of living has gone up this year. Yeah. And it's especially expensive in the Thousand Oaks Westlake area. Yeah, I'm aware of that. But there's more to our church than just these in-house expenses. Like what? Well, we have terrific educational programs for our youth and adults. Our Sunday school classes are really outstanding. And we have study groups and choirs and more. And those activities have budgets that need funding. Well, how does our money help outside of our local church? Well, we give to our local community. There's many mansions, manna, and there's so many that I can't even begin to remember all of them. And we provide a meeting space for several nonprofits like the Boy Scouts. But what about other Methodist churches? Well, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Way to go, Larry. <laughs> I'm just a shill. Yeah, he's just the shill. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> we are a connectional church. That means that we are kissing cousins with all those other Methodists in the entire world. So when we give money to our local church, some of that money ends up helping other Methodist congregations. We can help new congregations that are just getting started or who need extra funds to keep on operating. Hmm. What are those things in the budget that are called apportionments? Mm, well, apportionments and benevolences, they help to pay things like retirement salaries for the pastors. And we all happen to know a certain bagpiper pastor who just retired. But it also helps other congregations become established, help with missionary work, give emergency relief funds, and so much more. Just take a look at the United Methodist Church website. I did just that, just last, yesterday. The list goes on forever. I had no idea the church has been involved in so many social causes, actually since its beginning but ongoing, 
Methodists have been the leaders in the peace and justice movement for well over 100 years. But what does all this talk about giving money have to do with love? You said you would talk about love, and here you are talking about money. Well, see, that is love. Love for others that our money supports. Look at how the two go together. If you love something a lot, you just want to give and give and give. Sometimes you can give by doing, and sometimes you can give with money. Look at this loving congregation out there, okay? You all love our church very much, just like you would love your spouse, your children, or your grandchildren. And if you love that much, then you want to give and give and give. Doesn't that start to hurt, giving that much money? No, doesn't hurt, not at all. We have a friend who once said, give not until it hurts, but until it feels good. Isn't that mm. what we do with our family? We give until we're giddy because it feels so good. And this congregation, who is rich in love and wealth, I hope will give more this year until everyone is giddy because it feels so good to give. Now I get it. We're going to dig deep into our pockets and give this year, not, not until it hurts, but until it feels good because we love our church and our church family. There's God's work to be done next year. Yes, lots of God's work. Oh, and Larry, one more thing. I didn't mention S-E-X at all. Thank you. <laughs> Well, thank you, too, for your sharing. We thank our covenant ringers who have been patiently standing here ready to ring and share a gift of music with us and to God as we respond with gratitude for the ways that God has graced us so amazingly. Uh, and so our ushers will wait upon us as we give our gifts, our gifts to God in response.
receive these gifts as messages of our gratitude for your abundant love and grace. Use them to multiply your witness in the world so that the places in the world that do not know your light might see your light reflected through this offering. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you to remain standing as we join in our closing hymn, number 573, O Zion Haste. love that earnestness on David's part to get the light out. Was it still an ember? 
But you know, that's all symbolism, right? How does the light of Christ get out in the world? Amen. Amen. Let's join hands. The worship is over. Let the service begin. Find your way through grace and gratitude to generosity and become a little giddy in Jesus' name.